Let's open up another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network as we get ready to close out a week and head on into what we hope will be a kind of a regenerating weekend for us all. It's been kind of a tough week, and we've seemingly sent Susan Littlefield everywhere on uh, every point of the globe, and we played uh, Where's Susan today. We have a pretty good idea where you are. Susan is in Norfolk at Northeast Community College for the Ag Exceptional Women that's going on. It's a great opportunity for women to be branching out and being educated, motivated, but more importantly, celebrating who they are in the ag industry. And there's almost 400 women in attendance for today's meeting. That is great, you know, and uh, finally, you know, I know it went a long, long time, many, many decades without appreciating the uh, value of uh, the woman on the farm, but that has all changed. Oh, it definitely has, and, and I've heard a lot of that today from women that said, I told my husband, I know you still got harvest to do, but I'm going because I need to recenter myself, so there's <laughs> a lot of that going on, so... Good for them. Very nice. Good All for right. them. Uh-huh. Now, the, uh, the co-op people, the cooperative people, had a big meeting, and where did that end up, Susan? Yeah, they did. The cooperative council held their meeting on Wednesday evening in Norfolk, and we sent Bryce Buskett over there. So he catches up with the council president, Rocky Weber. Not only to talk about the annual meeting, but some of the new programs that are out there uh, for cooperatives and what's going to happen with the future of the council. So you can catch that coming up at 1245. Of course, it is Friday, which means we check in with Al Dutcher as well at 12.19. And then at 1.17, Corey Whiteman is an external communications director with Bear Cross Science. She was here last night at Ag Exceptional Women, and I caught up with her talking about her role and work that's being done to get more women to be advocates. That's up at 1.17 in the Farm Department. All right. We'll look forward to it all and everything that you bring back from Norfolk. Appreciate it, Susan. Thank you. Thank you. And it's uh, over here at Sports, uh, looking into a weekend abyss, <laughs> is well, Jason Jorgensen. For some teams, it'd be nice to know who the starting quarterback probably will be for the Huskers <laughs> tomorrow in their big game against Penn State. I, yeah. I guess we will see. The good news is Tanner Lee has been cleared to play, even though he did not have practice a whole lot this week. And if ever there was an opportunity to center in on one guy and shut it down, it might be this week. Huh? It might be. Nebraska now a 27-point underdog. Entertainment purposes only for that one at Penn State. Also, we'll talk some Husker basketball. The man, unfortunately, looked a lot like they've looked the last several years as they were blown out of the gym last night by St. John's. But if you're looking for one positive, it was the play of the Husker women. Okay. They are 3-0. and A couple freshmen played well, including Taylor Kissinger of Minden, a much ballyhooed recruit, and she's been pretty good the last couple of games, 25 points last night, 8 rebounds to help the Huskers to a much-needed victory. Yeah, that is outstanding. Uh, in the Husker men's defense, though, St. John's has not a bunch of slouches. No, but Nebraska wasn't playing Duke either. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to be positive here. You're, I'm you're looking at your face, hard. and I'm going, trying to give it everything I can. All right, well, we'll let him go here and uh, stand down from the microphone. <laughs> Bob Brogan has some business news. Stocks are a little bit lower on Wall Street as the market's pulling back after a big gain the day before. A uh, big thing going on in D.C. Republicans have stretched closer to delivering the first big legislative victory for President Donald Trump. That big tax haul overhaul package got through the House. Next up, the Senate. All coming up for you today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins steps in here with a look at our ag weather, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And we're looking at uh, some pretty good chances of seeing some precipitation here, but really, it's it's a lock for the Husker game, huh? Yeah. Uh, right now, the National Weather Service projecting a 97% chance of rain the entire game for the Husker game tomorrow at State College in Pennsylvania wow. against Penn State. Yeah, so rain, we'll call it certain, and temperatures in the low and mid-40s and some south winds at 7. looks like weather could be a factor tomorrow. <laughs> Might be. All right. Well, it's the great equalizer, so we'll find out what happens. Exactly. Right now, temperatures warming nicely over much of western Kansas. We're already up to 77 at Colby. A lot of Nebraska, at least in the east and the south part of Nebraska, into the 50s this morning, as warm as 58 right now at McCook. A little bit of light rain skirting the Nebraska-South Dakota border, and some of that moving through the Valentine area right now. Clouds gradually breaking up as the day goes on from west to east, all thanks to the passage of a front, some westerly winds in behind that front, warming up our temperatures to about 15 to 20 degrees warmer than what we usually get this time of year. Those rain chances increase this evening and spread east tonight. A likely chance of rain for us across the area. Not going to amount to a whole lot of moisture. Temperatures above freezing will lead to most of that moisture falling as rain, a mix to rain and snow, or a brief changeover to snow is possible for portions of the north and central as some cold air moves in behind a stronger cold front. But right now we're looking at liquid precipitation totals of several hundreds to a couple of tenths of moisture with this. The chances of accumulating snow rather low due to the rain-snow mix and the ground being warm from the nice temperatures for today. Light snow amounts of a half an inch at most are possible to the north of I-80. Now we dry out very quickly for tomorrow as that cold front pushes well to our south. Some gusty north winds expected to linger with much colder air for tomorrow. Milder air arriving for Sunday and Monday as the ridge of high pressure expands east of the Rockies. Temperatures briefly cool down for Tuesday with a cold front, but then that ridge of high pressure reasserts itself, and we see that warm air expand east with a warming trend for Wednesday and Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving looking very good. In our long-term forecast, those warmer-than-normal temperatures expected to stick around for a while. Warmer-than-normal temperatures a likelihood for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. Wednesday all the way through the end of the month. November is shaping up to be a very dry month. Looks like tonight our only best chance at some moisture most areas have yet not seen any measurable moisture yet this month, and there is a likelihood in the long term of below normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the 30th. Your weather factors in the market include heavy eastern Midwest rain and the continuation of promising rain in central Brazil. Fast-moving cold front today could result in one to two inches of rain from the eastern Corn Belt into New England. Behind that front, snow will develop downwind of the Great Lakes. That moderate to heavy rain in the eastern Midwest will stymie the harvest through the weekend. The focus of the heavier rain looks to be in Indiana and Ohio. Record-setting warmth, though, prevailing today from Kansas to the south and is further reducing the soil moisture for winter wheat establishment. High temperatures today expected to approach or reach 90 across parts of the southern high plains. Precipitation in the western half of the southern plains the past 30 days has been well below normal. That dry trend has many concerns heading into winter dormancy for the wheat. The central Brazil rain pattern continues to be more favorable for planting and developing soybeans. Soybean planting in Mato Grosso close to being complete. Central Argentina crop conditions mostly favorable right now, but a drier pattern the next week will cause some moisture loss. Western areas of central Argentina also turning notably drier and will trend, uh, need to be watched in the next coming weeks here.
Our midday ag weather with Paul brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And um, I, I guess we do have some <laughs> precipitation. You get it. Uh, the odds are that if you're the, what further north, uh, maybe a little further west, you're likely to get that little skiff of snow. Exactly, yeah. Especially to the north of I-80 at most, we're probably looking at accumulations of a half an inch or less. But if the moisture slows down just a bit tonight, don't be surprised if you may see an inch of snow tomorrow morning. But right now, the outlook is for just a light skiff of snow across the area. All right. That's going to hit some pretty warm uh, ground, though, by the time we get there. Right. Yeah, especially uh, north-central Kansas could see some snowflakes in the overnight, and they could see temperatures today in the 70s. And, yeah, a lot of us are expecting highs today into the 60s. So, yeah, it's not going to last long at all. Crazy. If you need more on this crazy situation, <laughs> you can always go. KRVN. Farm groups are reacting to House passage of tax reform. I'm Shaley Peters joining you with a midday check of your ag news on the Rural Radio Network. Farm groups offered a mixed reaction to House passage of a tax reform package. The American Farm Bureau Federation called the action a step closer to a tax code that works for all farmers and ranchers. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association called the the passage a step in the right direction, noting specifically the language within the package that would immediately double the death tax exemption and put the tax on the path to extinction in five years. However, NCBA also expressed concern that the reform package would significantly limit the ability of some businesses from deducting their interest expenses. The National Council of Farmer Cooperatives called passage of the bill unfortunate, as the organization says the reform package will raise taxes on farmers and co-ops across the country by eliminating the Section 199 deduction. And the National Farmers Union said it was alarmed by the passage because the legislation would jeopardize farm bill funding while increasing the federal debt and harming farmers and ranchers. A new project at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln is focused on increasing women and minority interest in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics-related agricultural majors and careers. The project is called Cultivate Access Agriculture Career Communities to Empower Students in STEM. Over the next decade, a 35% deficit of graduates with relevant education and experience to fill STEM-related jobs in food, agriculture, and natural resources is anticipated. To meet the demand, the USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture has invested in programs to increase the number of underrepresented students enrolled in STEM-related agricultural majors and careers. The Institute is funding the three-year $94,387 Cultivate Access Project at Nebraska. We believe that through intentional mentoring, personal development, and enhanced career awareness, youth will envision themselves working in specific STEM-related careers in agriculture and will more likely pursue STEM-related majors in post-secondary educational institutions, said Jenny Kershwani, Cultivating Access Project Director. Between 2010 and 2050, Nebraska Hispanic population is double, projected to double, and 60 high school scholars will participate in online mentoring through Cultivate Access. 
Agriculture exports totaled $140.5 billion in fiscal year 2017, climbing nearly $10.9 billion from the previous year to the third highest level on record, according to Agriculture Secretary Sunny Perdue. The Department of Agriculture announced the findings Thursday, saying that as it has done well, done for well over 50 years, the U.S. Agriculture Secretary the U.S. agriculture sector once again posted an annual trade surplus. The trade surplus reached $21.3 billion, up almost 30% from last year's $16.6 billion. China finished the fiscal year as the United States' largest export consumer, with shipments valued at $22 billion, followed closely by Canada at $20.4 billion. U.S. agricultural exports to Mexico reached $18.6 billion, a 6% gain from last year, while exports to Japan grew 12% to $11.8 billion. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. For more, head on over to ruralradio.com, including audio and video. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Well, as we head into the weekend, of course, everybody's wondering what the weather's going to be like for us. And I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Join us, state climatologist Al Dutcher. Al, going into the weekend, many folks are wondering, is it going to be windy, rainy, or are we going to have to do some stuff inside? Well, I think that if we're going to have to do stuff inside, it will be for today, probably this afternoon, evening, and probably as we go into tomorrow morning, I think most of the eastern one-third of the state might be under the gun for some of that residual moisture left over from the system moving across the northern plains. There is uh, probably going to see a mixture of rain and snow, uh, most likely area would be northeast Nebraska. I don't think we'll see any significant accumulations, but might see some on grass surfaces. The models have gotten a little bit more aggressive with this system across the southern part of the state. Yesterday's uh, precipitation output was generally peaking out between a tenth of an inch and a fifteen hundredth of an inch. Today they're putting it around twenty hundredths to thirty hundredths, so uh, the precipitation across southern Nebraska, you know, we may actually get a little bit of a benefit to wet things up at the surface, but overall no wide-scale heavy moisture event to worry about system clears out as we go through the day tomorrow, uh, clearing from west to east, and we should see some wind associated with that clearing as the system lifts off to the northeast, and then we look like we're going to start to see a warming pattern develop all the way from the weekend into Thanksgiving, although it looks to be dry that entire period. Please keep an eye on the weather because there is a system expected to come through on Friday across the Northern Plains, and the way the model's been performing, this thing could change dramatically, but right now it keeps all the significant moisture to the north of us, and the only thing we get is a, a brief cool down as that system intensifies over the eastern United States. And then we turn our attention to the following week where there is a series of storms coming into the to Pacific Northwest, and it's possible that we'll start to see some of that activity start to make an impact in the northern and central Rockies as we go in through the first or the final few days of November and the first couple of days of December. But once again, we're in that mode where things can change on a dime. And overall, it looks like at least for the first half of the holiday weekend, we should be in pretty good shape. It's just a question of whether or not we will get some of the energy out of the Pacific Northwest storms as we move into the late holiday weekend, the early part of through the early part of December. How will we continue to get these crazy foggy days that we've had over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, and that's my 
that that is a major concern because we've seen quite a few of these as this kind of mid-level moisture gets trapped. You know, the one thing that we got going for us, at least we don't have a tremendous amount of lift in the atmosphere. Um, this fog, of course, is concerning from a standpoint that we start to drop these temperatures about another 10 degrees, all of a sudden we're not dealing with drizzle, we're dealing with icy conditions. And, you know, that's not uncommon during La Nina-type events where we get a northwest flow and enough warm air to our southwest that systems can lift some of that warm air over top of the very shallow, cool air mass, and you kind of generate these foggy, drizzly conditions. And, you know, in the wintertime, a couple hundredths of an inch of freezing drizzle is just as much of an impact as a quarter inch of rain or icing conditions. So any little bit is is extreme, and unfortunately we're set up with the type of pattern we have to see more of this type of pattern as we go through the first part of the winter. The heavier precipitation events that lead to high accumulations of icing, generally those are more associated with the late winter, early spring period. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, Al Dutcher, joining us, State Climatologist. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, freshman Taylor Kissinger and Kate Kane combined for 37 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 assists, including 18 of Nebraska's final 26 points to help the Huskers to an 80-69 to win over Arkansas last night. With that victory, the Huskers improved to 3-0. Kissinger poured in 25 points while having 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal. And Coach Amy Williams feels it was another step in the right direction. Well, I think that what happened early is that she learned, you know, in the first quarter that they were going to chase her off of all screens and that um, in order for her to do some of that, she was probably going to have to tight curl and and be able to get to the basket. And I think uh, she made some really good reads that if you're going to defend me like this, then I'll take what you give me. And and so uh, I thought that was... um, uh, really a good maturing for her. The Huskers now will take on Creighton on Sunday. Despite a number of new faces, the Nebraska men's basketball team resembled its old self last night as they were blown out on the road by St. John's 79-56. to The Huskers shot just 28% of that game and committed 16 turnovers. Nebraska football coach Mike Riley says quarterback Tanner Lee has been cleared to play for tomorrow's game against Penn State, but it's still unclear if he will start after missing most of the week of practice. Kickoff tomorrow is set for 3 central time. As the number one seed, UNK is hosting the semifinals and the final of the MIAA Volleyball Tournament this weekend at the Health and Sports Center. The first semifinal this afternoon has Central Oklahoma against Missouri Western at 5. At 7.30, UNK faces off against Central Missouri. Now, the Lopers beat the Jennies earlier this season. Head coach Rick Squires talks about how they'll need to do it again. Can you pressure them enough from the service line that they can't run everything because they have as many weapons as anybody in the league, if not more so. And if you just allow them to, you know, set the middle when they want, set the right side when they want, uh, choose to set the outside instead of have to set the outside, then, you know, I just don't know how you stop them. So. UNK goes into the match at 31-3 and on the year. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. says he would consider returning to Homestead Miami Speedway next year to drive in the Xfinity Series finale. Earnhardt is set to retire from the NASCAR Cup Series after Sunday's season finale. He had committed to two or three races next year in NASCAR's second-tier series. Earnhardt won consecutive Xfinity Series championships in 1998 and 
1999, and he says he's at peace with his decision to step away from the sports. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Rain is likely tonight to Nebraska, and it could mix with snow in the northern part of the state. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska state officials say an oil spill from a Keystone pipeline in South Dakota won't affect their decision to approve or deny a route for the related Keystone XL project. A spokeswoman for Nebraska Public Service Commission said that commissioners will base their decision solely on evidence presented during public hearings and from official public comments. A Nebraska law approved in 2011 prevents the commissioners from factoring pipeline safety or the possibility of leaks into their decision. Landowners argued at the time that pipeline safety was a federal responsibility that preempts state law. Opponents say oil interests lobbied for the restriction. A former Nebraska State Patrol trooper is asking the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to revive his lawsuit against the patrol head that was fired earlier this year. Todd Steckelberg of Omaha is appealing the dismissal of his lawsuit against Brad Rice. Steckelberg's attorney argued before the appeals court that a jury should hear his case, which was dismissed by a federal judge in April. Steckelberg was a trooper for more than 25 years before retiring last year. His lawsuit alleges Rice created a hostile work environment and passed Steckelberg over for promotions. Governor Pete Ricketts fired Rice earlier this year amid allegations that patrol leaders mishandled internal investigations. The appellate court will rule on Stecklberg's appeal at a later date. AAA predicts the 50.9 million Americans will travel over the Thanksgiving holiday, an increase over 2016. The Auto Club credits a growing economy and low unemployment for putting people in the traveling mood. AAA spokeswoman Jeanette Casolano has some advice for drivers hitting the road over the holiday. If you're taking the road trip, make sure your car is road trip ready. Uh, Check those windshield wipers and your fluid levels, your tires. Make sure you have an emergency kit. And more than anything, pack your patients no matter if you're traveling a half an hour down the road or out of town. Road trips will cost more, however. The national average for a gallon of regular is $2.56, up from two sixteen a year ago. A broken bow man has been arrested on a Custer County arrest warrant for unlawful intrusion, a Class 2A felony. 47-year-old Guy Holloway was taken into custody by the Custer County Sheriff's Office on Wednesday. The case stems from an investigation launched in October by the Broken Bow Police Department. A person reported that nude photos were posted to social media and websites without their permission. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away, anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskin. What is that time of year again for annual meetings happening all across the state in our state's agriculture organizations? The Nebraska Cooperative Council is no exception. This past week, they held their annual meeting in Kearney, Nebraska, and I had the opportunity to catch up with the president of the Nebraska Cooperative Council, Rocky Weber, to discuss all things happening with the council. But we began our conversation talking about the last year. Well, it's been a good year, and just like uh, all the farmers that own the cooperatives, the cooperatives are certainly dealing with a tight margin economic environment uh, with agriculture 
uh, as farmer-owned companies, they feel the same things their farmers feel. But as an association and as cooperatives, um, we had a very successful year in our programming. We had almost 400 cooperative board members attend our, our uh, education programs and workshops. Uh, our legislative program works very well. We've been active in Lincoln and in Washington, D.C. on a variety of issues affecting Nebraska cooperatives, so it's been a good year. Throughout the meeting, we were, we were discussing how important cooperatives are in this day and age and with the 21st century farmer. Echo that message again here while we're recording. Why, why is a cooperative council important in this day and age? Well, cooperatives are important because they're the only ag input or grain uh, business that is actually owned by the farmers. Um, all of their competitors are, are commercial retail businesses that are owned by others. So when a cooperative makes money, it's the farmers making money. The cooperative returns its profits back to the farmers in patronage allocations and in redemptions of equity and things of that nature. When, when cooperatives build facilities, shuttle train loaders or gra uh, grain terminals, fertilizer terminals, things of that nature. It's the farmers building those and putting investment back in the rural communities. For a three-year period from 2013 through 2015, uh, Nebraska's farmer-owned cooperatives returned $97 million annually to their farmer owners that did business with them. You mentioned rural, and I think of that when I think of cooperatives, and not, they're not all rural necessarily, but how important are those uh, local uh, cooperatives to a rural community, keeping the community vibrant and alive? Well, I think that our statistics show that we pay almost $120 million of taxes in the rural communities, and so when it goes to supporting our local schools and county governments and, and our, our city and village governments and stuff, you know, the, the property tax base is important because cooperatives have maintained locations in about 376 communities in the state of Nebraska, even though we have fewer cooperatives today. So from a tax standpoint, it's very important. They also, the cooperatives are known to put money back into their communities, such as supporting their volunteer fire departments, supporting their, their youth sports, supporting the local FFA, and things of that nature. Rocky, let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about uh, maybe something a lot of people don't know, that Nebraska Cooperative Council has a lobbying arm known as the PAC. And let's first talk about why uh, an organization like the Nebraska Cooperative Council should have a PAC, and then we'll get on the issues here in a minute as well. Well, cooperatives are a unique type of, of business enterprise. They are a corporation, but the entire financial structure that surrounds cooperatives are different. And so we have a set of statutes in Nebraska that allow cooperatives to be formed and, and operate differently from regular corporations. So from a lobbying standpoint, we are always watching for legislation that may impact our cooperatives, either from a tax basis or from a corporate governance basis or an organizational basis. Also, all of our farmer-owned cooperatives are involved in ag input sales. Uh, they all have sales tax issues. They all have uh, property tax issues. They all have um, grain uh, conveyance and transportation issues and so from a government relations standpoint whether in Lincoln or Washington uh, the Nebraska Cooperative Council represents the cooperatives and, and to address their issues and protect their interests. And we'll head to D.C. to talk a minute about uh, the national politics. The Republicans are working on a tax plan. And on the House side, there is one, at least one proposal that could really have an effect on how cooperatives operate, and that's Section 199. Let's give some background on what Section 199 is and talk about how it can affect cooperatives. Well, after 9-11, after um, Congress passed a number of tax incentive programs to increase productivity in the United States. And one of those things was called the Section 199 Domestic Production Activities Deduction. And it allows um, companies to take a deduction from their income tax uh, for domestic production. 
it's unique for farmer-owned cooperatives, though, because all of the grain purchases um, are attributable. All the all the farmers that raise grain and sell them to cooperatives, all of that's attributable to the cooperatives' taxable income, and therefore they were able to take the Section 199 deduction on all their grain purchases as well. And many cooperatives have used those deductions and the dollars generated from those deductions to build property, plant, and equipment. For instance, Nebraska cooperatives over the last three years have spent almost $200 million a year reinvesting in property, plant, and equipment in Nebraska for their farmer owners. But they also have been allowed to, under the tax code, to pass that deduction to the farmers so the deductions can use, or the farmers can use those deductions on their own, on their own tax returns. And so what we, what we discovered is over an eight-year period, that's been about a 200 and some million dollar benefit to Nebraska cooperatives and about a $26 million benefit to Nebraska farmers, directly to farmers in addition to the cooperatives. So we talked about the, the lobbying side of things and the issues that are, are happening locally and nationally as well. Let's look to the future here as the Cooperative Council moves into another fiscal year. What excites you most about the future in the coming year, but also the long-term future as well? Well, you know, it, it is a difficult time uh, in, in the ag economy, but sometimes difficulty breeds opportunity. And so that's how we're looking at this. Uh, the Nebraska Cooperative Council is undertaking what we're calling the Nebraska Cooperative Council Legacy Initiative starting in 2018 here. And we're going to do a market analysis and study, and we're going to figure out how to match the needs of the 21st century ag producer with the 21st century cooperative. Very good. Thank you for that information. Rocky Weber, he is the president of the Nebraska Cooperative Council. We're talking here at the 72nd annual meeting of the Nebraska Cooperative Council. I'm Bryce Duskett, and this is the Rural Radio Network. Now let's talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities about the livestock futures trade. Joe? Yeah, kind of a tough day once again in the cattle, uh, down pretty hard, uh, especially in the feeder cattle. Feeder cattle suffered a little bit more than the cattle, but uh, down day once again. Uh, uh, you know, cash has been disappointing this week. Cutouts uh, have been slipping, uh, so it just hasn't turned out to be a good week, and therefore we ended up the week uh, lower in, in both cattle and the feeders. Uh, so uh, just not a very good uh, uh, start and finish to this week in, in the cattle complex. So, And now we have a cattle on feed report coming out at uh, 2 o'clock. So uh, that will definitely uh, set, help set the tone for uh, early part of next week. But uh, right now uh, looking for uh, a few more cattle on feed and uh, uh, placements a little, little heavier. And uh, marketing's uh, a little bit greater, so we'll see uh, after two o'clock uh, how the trade feels. Over in the uh, hogs, uh, we finished mixed, uh, but we're still going to end up lower for the week, despite the fact that uh, the, the first three months were a little bit higher. Then you start into a, kind of a mixture uh, of higher and lower in the hogs. Cash seemed to be a little bit. Uh, weaker, uh, at least early in the uh, trade, but uh, considering the discount that the December contract continues to carry against the uh, index, uh, we've got some, uh, a little bit of short covering, it'll look like uh, uh, help the uh, first three months. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call him, 800-328-0134. Dewey Nelson reporting. <laughs> 
learning to become a better advocate. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Thursday night kicked off Agceptional Women. That's taking place in Norfolk. And the keynote speaker, Corey Whiteman. Corey is the Director of External Communications for Crop Science, a division of Bayer, as she talked about the ways for folks to become advocates. Right. Um, Susan, I think it's, you know, a lot of times people just don't know where to start. Um, you know, and I always try to encourage people, you you know, you don't have to uh, go out and speak on a panel. You don't have to uh, be a keynote speaker like I was tonight. Um, advocacy can really start in very small ways, uh, whether that's just getting involved into social media and start listening in on the conversation, uh, maybe giving somebody uh, a reference to uh, a resource or a fact, some sort of piece of information that you want to share and you want to take forward. Um, It could be a conversation that you have at a backyard barbecue or uh, a conversation that you would have on a plane with somebody. So just a way to be able to kind of start telling your story, sharing your passion, um, and letting the um, importance of um, innovation and the benefits to modern agriculture be heard. So for you, what's been the exciting part of this role? as you have continued this over the last couple of years, talking about what Bear is doing, but more importantly, becoming an advocate yourself. Uh, I, first of all, I just absolutely love agriculture. I love being in this industry, and I love the people that are in it. Um, I definitely feed off other people's passions, and this industry is the most passionate industry, I think, um, that really exists. And um, to be able to uh, pay that passion forward, to be able to take what I do in terms of my skills from a communication standpoint and be able to offer that to somebody else, uh, makes me feel really proud and it makes me um, feel like I'm doing something really great uh, within the agriculture industry. You had a couple of different statistics up there that I think got the crowd thinking. Even the one of the, the amount of food loss before we even get a chance to harvest that crop because of the influence of weeds and insects. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that people understand the facts of why innovation is so important. And really, we have a whole host of global challenges that we're faced with. Um, I mentioned a few of them tonight. Um, you know, feeding a growing population, you know, it's a story that many people have heard. Um, but that story is not going away. Uh, we have to do more on um, less land that is available to us. So, um, you know, uh, dietary needs are changing. And, you know, seven percent of those people um, in, in areas where uh, you know they're looking for more protein um, and our dietary changes are, are our dietary needs are changing as well in the United States so a lot is happening within agriculture and truly it's it's become more of a global perspective than just a US perspective Correct. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned tonight that, you know, when we look at advocacy as a whole, uh, we have a lot more in common. Um, there's, there's so much in common that we have um, in the United States with those people all around the world. And when it comes to advocacy, um, you know, Bear's goal is really to think about how do we um, give people the information? How do they feel enabled to go out uh, and tell, tell their story that is unique to them no matter where they are in the world? Exceptional Women continues through this afternoon at Northeast Community College in Norfolk. Over 400 women set in attendance. I'm Susan Littlefield, Liberal Radio Network.
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And in grains today, a day of a little more volatility. Also a day of higher closing prices, including the double-digit gains in soybeans. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So we will ask you about this corn market. It must have been a follower, possibly. Well, all right, so this is kind of the, the rubber band, so to speak, got a little bit stretched too far this week. Um, you know, broke a lot of technical levels. Options expiration is next Friday. So, I mean, it's, it's not fair to say everybody was short, but, you know, looking at this, the Chicago Board of Trade uh, technicals, I mean, the, the open interest had exploded, and it was like everybody was in the same trade. So <clears throat> this morning we got some rumors, and I don't know if they've come through or not, but China was in the market for U.S. ethanol. And there were some expectations that they might have been involved in purchasing some, or been the unknown buyer to some corn uh, this morning. So I'm sure you've mentioned that, but the short covering that's going to come from a move like this is, is exactly what we've seen. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be broad based. Um, you know, corn, the grain markets really are the only market sector that have not seen this kind of rally in commodities in the last really four months, going back to August. And, I think it's time. I really do. I think we're going to go into the delivery here. I think December will probably keep prices lower. But then as we get through March, and, and you know, it, it just feels like corn, the value of, of the product could be 15 to 20 cents higher, meaning, you know, we're trading 350 to 370 on that March contract. So I'm not trying to get too optimistic here. I think still a lot of product to move. But I, I think from the production standpoint, um, you know, looking at that new crowd price sitting right around, say, I'm talking 18 now, 385, not 390. I think we're suited there. So the, the rally in soybeans is going to be important for corn, uh, given that it's a uh, kind of a competition crop, uh, especially over the next three months. We spoke to the with the plant. Um, and, you know, that's, not, that's a market that could look to explode. And uh, I think the price action we saw today was very good. It'll make the weekly charts look fantastic. Well, and we might even close lower for the week. But nevertheless, soybeans had their big gains today. Uh, that was strictly just uh, trade getting out of short positions, or were they not? Oh, I think a lot of it was short covering. I mean, that would have been that would describe the surge perfectly. I think we're. I, I, I'm not looking at my weekly charts, just forgive me, but I think we're basically at where we opened the week. So I'm not going to compound much here, but you know, closing six off the lows. Like I said, you've kind of hit some levels here where I think the market is probably suitable to trade sideways at least. And looking at that March contract, 350, if you're going to jump in and re-own it, I, I think this is a fine place to do it. I don't think I'd chase the market higher, though. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago.